תודה רבה. חיים, uh, I feel just the same way. Uh, I, would say it, I would say it this way. אני לא כאן למען שירות, אלא למען משפחה. I'm not here for the sake of ministry, uh, but for the sake of family. And uh, to be here is a, a real delight for me uh, whenever it happens. So thank you so much for your, your love, your hospitality, your many, many years of, of support uh, in prayer and in finance and in relationship. But I figured, okay, this is our story. So I'll walk in, and, and you can see the label. It says Placitas. Well, Placitas was the small town outside of Albuquerque that was the nearest place with pavement Uh, next to where we had settled in a, a particular valley, uh, Valle de las Huertas, the Valley of Orchards. And um, it had been abandoned because of drought and the soldiers coming home from World War II, uh, just the, the shift to city life. And so we walk into this alcove, and, you know, we're just looking at the different pictures. And, I mean, this is the way we were. This is, this is, this is basically, these were our contemporaries. This is the very place that we were at. And then I looked a little bit closer, and it's not large enough for you to see, but I look at this picture and this picture, and right there in that corner is Eitan Shishkov. <laughs> circa 1970. It was so weird, kind of wonderful, but mostly weird, to see myself on a museum wall. I mean, I'm still alive, right? And I figure, well, you know, if the anthropologists and the museum curators figure that this is worthy, you know, of a whole exhibit, there must be something, you know, to what we were doing. So that's my intro. And um, I'm just going to brutally disconnect this and hope that I don't create any sort of electrocution of anybody. Because what I'd like to talk about is... Don't leave me on a museum wall. <laughs> so I began to think, how did I wind up on a museum wall? Well, I think there were two prime factors. And I'm speaking, of course, of the whole phenomenon of us going back to the land and uh, living primitive style and the farming and uh, living virtually with no money. Uh, all, of, all of what we were involved with basically seceding from civilization. And these are the two, two, two factors that, that I thought of. One was a disenchantment with the status quo. Now, because uh, I don't want to take a super long time to say all this, <coughs> excuse me, and because I felt that the, the family album was worth showing, I hope you enjoyed that. Was that, was that helpful? Just to, to tune into your mishpacha uh, in Israel and in the Galilee. So I want you to begin to apply what I'm saying to yourself, okay? We'll come at the end of the message and, and do a specific application. But I already want you to be thinking about your own life, thinking about this time in history, not 1970, but 2017. Prime factor number one was a disenchantment with the status quo. So uh, the burgeoning materialism of post-World War II uh, and the mushrooming influence of technology Uh, brought us to this conclusion. What, what does this have to do with real life? We wanted to strip life back down to its essentials so that we weren't losing 
something of, of the heart and the soul of what does it mean to be a human being on the planet. Now, were we simplistic? Yes. Were we naive? Terribly. Uh, were we misguided? In many ways also. But there's something about this disenchantment with the status quo. I'm not suggesting here that anybody move out to the mountains and start living in a cabin with no electricity. might help some of us to recover some perspective. But what I am saying, and these mountains with their snow on them in mid-June wouldn't be the place to exactly do that unless you really had some outdoor skills. But what I am saying is that at the time in which we are living and for our movement for the Messiah among the Jewish people and among the nations, we have to be disenchanted with the status quo, beloved. This is, this is not what God called us to. He didn't call us just to preserve uh, a prosperous way of life and, and to go on uh, continuing to be entertained. So the second prime factor is that we had a dream. So the one thing you could say, okay, that's a negative observation of what exists. This is what I don't want to continue endorsing this and building it up and living in it. But the second thing is, there has to be a vision. There has to be something positive. What are you living for? This was what I came to the conclusion personally, after being involved in the anti-war movement and, and trying to fight against the system, it suddenly dawned on me, wait a minute, I know what I'm against, but what am I for? What am I trying to create? And beloved, that is our assignment. We are to create uh, a, a, a kingdom of God expression of who Yeshua is, of what His... Uh, sacrifice and resurrection means on the earth at this time, you know, whether it's Colorado or whether it's Kiryat Yam. Can I hear an amen? amen? Good. Don't be bashful with me, all right? Don't hold back. I like amens, okay? Our dream at that time was to create a society in which people would help each other, work together, and enjoy the simplest things in life, thus bettering the world, okay? The experiment didn't endure, uh, because we didn't have the, the overarching redemption of Yeshua that would bring us together in one heart. However, the concept of there being a dream that we're living for is not something of the movies. Beloved, this is what God calls us to. He has for us a way of life that, that, that pushes out the boundaries and the borders, okay? And I'm saying all this uh, after more than 40 years, actually, uh, in about two weeks, I celebrate 41 years in the ministry of the Lord, full time. I mean, I can't believe it. It goes by very quickly, so we need to make use of each day. <coughs> but um, the Scripture says in Joel, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall have visions, young men and women. So I guess I'm in the right place at the right time. I'm still dreaming. Okay? I don't read anywhere where we're supposed to just kind of, you know, kick back and, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit too long in the tooth, you know, to continue any of this pioneering stuff. Hello? This is, this, is not, this is not the will of God. This is not how it works. Okay? Now, do we need to find a different rhythm? Do we need to take care of our bodies in different ways? Amen. Yes, of course. All right? Don't be foolish. Um, but I'm just, <clears throat> my wife, uh, we celebrated her 70th birthday a week ago. Whoa. Woo! Amazing. Connie. Ever youthful Connie Shishkov. And mine's coming up in January. And I know that the next decade or even two 
will be the most productive, the most fruitful, the most exciting, the most meaningful of any part of my life that I've yet lived if God sees fit to grant me this time. So, you know, I felt in thinking about these things really to, to encourage those of you, no matter what your age, uh, but the, um, those who are already getting discounts for senior stuff, I don't know, does that happen at 55 in America? I mean, in some places anyway. Walk into Denny's and you get a discount. But it's also uh, for the 20-somethings and, and onward uh, because there's a lot of disillusionment uh, in the world right now. It doesn't look like a very pretty picture. Uh, what Chaim referred to and we prayed about, that's, that's the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? I mean, there is really... Uh, I mean, in my part of the world, in the Middle East, forget about it. It's, uh, it's really bad. I mean, people's heads are being chopped off, uh, massive, you know whole villages being raped. It's, it's, it's ugly, ugly, ugly. And, and this world is not in a good way. It's not in a good state. So many young people, I think, are just, just hiding, you know, into their digital devices and saying, you know, I can't really do too much about this. This looks like it's, it's unimprovable. And uh, so I'm just going to pursue my, my individual pleasure and my path. But beloved, that's not the kingdom of God. That's not what Yeshua called us to. There's a harvest out there and, and the harvest is actually ripening rapidly. This is the time. We were, we were brought to the kingdom for this time. This is our hour. And we need to believe that and we need to embrace it. I want to go to uh, the scriptures, uh, and both for the sake of time and, and just uh, what I felt that the Lord placed on my heart. This is not really going to be a, a scripture-heavy message, uh, though I, I love to give those kind. Uh, but I, I just I want us to... Uh, to tune in to one particular uh, portion of time in Israel's history. And uh, I know that most of you are familiar with uh, a character named Nehemiah, Nehemiah. So I want you to turn to his book if you're following along in your scriptures. And uh, in the first opening verses of the book of Nehemiah, uh, verse 3 and 4, it reads, And they said to me, The survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. <clears throat> the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So we're talking about uh, a setting in history. Uh, this uh, Israel, uh, Judah actually, has already been taken away captive. Uh, and and uh, Nehemiah is viewing the city of Jerusalem <clears throat> in a decrepit condition. This is, this is post uh, uh, the Babylonian conquest. And... Uh, and, and, he's, and he's heartbroken, okay? So this is, thank you. So this is, um, uh, well, 586 BCE was the destruction. So, you know, we're moving into uh, what would be the, the earlier, well, 70, 70 years were determined uh, as the time of captivity. So we're approaching the end of that 70 years, the early 6th century BCE. Uh, then in verse 4, so it was when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So it looks to me like Nehemiah did not take the situation as it was, the status quo, for granted and say, well, we can't do anything about this. Where did he turn? He turned to heaven. He turned to God. And when we're facing something that looks way too big for us and impossible to change, <clears throat> for instance, for me, that looks like impacting my city, my region, the Galilee, Israel, uh, with the good news of Yeshua. 
And even though we've been there 25 years and we've seen incredible growth in the body of Messiah, I would say that easily there are five times as many believers as when we arrived 25 years ago. There might have been 3,000 when we arrived. There are now something like 15,000 uh, Israeli Messianic believers. That's, that's really an accomplishment, but it's not very much in compared to the more than 6 million Jewish people who live in the country. So I look at that, and I feel very small, and I feel very inadequate. I kind of feel like Frodo, if you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings story, you know, this little hobbit that's, uh, that's he's, uh, he's charged with the responsibility of, of destroying evil and renewing the kingdom of, of goodness. And uh, that's really us, hello, people. I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. So Nehemiah, in spite of what he saw and his sorrow at the condition, and Lord, give us sorrow. Give us, give us the ability to mourn uh, for, the, for the tragedy that exists in the world, for the injustice, for the, for the, 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 the suffering and the death and the torture. Uh, it's, it's massive, and we, and we must not become uh, uh, callous to it. And then I'm jumping ahead after his encounter uh, with the king, uh, or during the encounter with the king, verse 4 of chapter 2. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Huge. What, what, what uh, I would say in a positive way, chutzpah, what courage, what nerve, what, what daring, what faith. What a, a lack of accepting the status quo. What, what a, a sense of idealism, which is one of the words that I would use about the crazy stuff that we did uh, back uh, from 1969 until the end of 74 when we moved down out of the mountains. This man was an idealist. This man was a dreamer. This man was a visionary, and he had virtually nothing. He went to the king, and he said, this is what's on my heart. I must, I'm giving myself to this. So I guess a question that we need to ask ourselves, in whatever your, your common life is, whatever your daily life is, you might think it's dull and boring. You might think that you do not have the tools <clears throat> that would uh, make it possible for you to make a difference in history. I don't agree with that. I absolutely don't agree with that. You have the tools to change history. You are part of a community here. If you're walking in faith in the Messiah, you have the Spirit of God. You are qualified to be a messenger, to be a witness, to be a worker, to be part of this restoration. God is restoring our people to faith in Yeshua, our Messiah, the King of Israel, as never before. You're part of a miracle. Don't take this as commonplace. Yes, you're in a lovely, civilized building, and I'm exercising faith together with all of you for your own synagogue building. This is part of your witness to the Jewish community. It's part of your witness to the Christian community. This is the God, God I mean, I so appreciate the non-manipulation uh, that I just want to add my two cents and say, go for it. Yes, it's going to take sacrifice. But, you know, what else do we have to give ourselves to? You know, what are, what are we storing up for? Some, some uh, mythical rainy day. So here's, here's Nehemiah. And he's saying, I have to do this. This is my passion. And here's the question. Is the kingdom of God our passion? Is this something that I'm really giving my life to? Or am I, 
you know, I'm showing up for Saturday service and it's fun and it's nice and I like the music and I can wear a talit and da, da, da. It has to be more than that, beloved. This is, this is not, this is not a, a Shabbat religion. This is not something that we, we just, uh, you know, we, we, mark, we mark the V. We say, oh, okay, did that, went to service. Then I go back to the rest of my life and Yeshua is not fully the one who is leading me, the one who is using me, the one who is changing me. Okay, so you can you can feel it. I'm I'm being a little a, a little bit prickly here because I feel that we all, myself included, we need a wake up call. The hour is late. Do you agree with that? Is that the right assessment? Am, am I am I am I reading the news correctly? Am I reading the Bible correctly? The hour is late. This is our time. It's not time for passivity. And Nehemiah, if he'd been passive, hey, forget it. Jerusalem would not have been rebuilt. Let's go to chapter, same chapter, chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. So I came to Yerushalayim and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Yerushalayim, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So he's still holding it in himself. And that's where it has to start, beloved, is in your own heart. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. So we're taking a sober assessment of where we are, of what's happening around us, uh, just as we did uh, back in the 60s. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, here's a turning point, you see the distress that we are in. Again, I ask, are we in distress? You might not feel it so much personally, but is the world in distress? Is, 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 there, is there a crying, aching need for the love of God that already saved you, that's already abiding in you? And if somebody's here checking all this out, I, uh, I ask for your patience because I'm speaking uh, as if everyone here is already a disciple of Yeshua. If you're not yet a disciple of Yeshua, uh, we, we invite you uh, to come in to his gang and into his family. We're not inviting you into a congregation per se or into a religion. Uh, we are inviting you into a gang, a band uh, of, of disciples. Um, and you can talk to us more about this later. But I'm, I'm, wanting, to, I'm wanting to see a, a fresh fire ignited uh, in the hearts of those that are already following him. Um, you see the distress. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be of reproach. Let's take action, he's saying. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good to me and also of the king's words that he had spoken. So they said, here was the response of the people to the situation and to Nehemiah's dream to the fact that this guy was not letting go. He was not accepting uh, business as usual. He was disenchanted with the status quo, and he expressed his dream. He said, this is where I believe God wants us to go. Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. I love, I love this statement. I love 
the report that they responded positively and they and they they were ready they were ready to to be mobilized but the first step of that had to be something that happened in their hearts and then they were opposed they were laughed at they were despised what is this thing you are doing which we know uh, both from demonic voices we know from human voices we know from the uh, the juggernaut of the rest of the Jewish community that says, ha, you can't believe in Jesus and be Jewish. That's outrageous. It can't be done. And we say, oh, really? Uh, we have very good precedent. If we look back 2,000 years, there were some guys that were even uh, faithful to, to Torah and to the Jewish uh, way of life, and they followed this Yeshua who fulfilled the prophecies. So, last verse, I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. I want to speak to a potential disillusionment. Sometimes after a period of time of, of seeking to be faithful, uh, in service, in congregation, in family, uh, on the job, uh, we become weary and, and even disillusioned. And I feel that, um, first of all, it's absolutely healthy to acknowledge that. There's no need to pretend. Uh, if, if I'm struggling deeply, uh, I need to tell somebody. I need to pray about it, of course, uh, and spend time with God, but I also need to find uh, at least one trusted partner, uh, whether that's a pastoral leader, whether that's a, a, um, a spouse, a mentor, somebody, I need to go. And I need to say, you know, brother, um, you know me pretty well, and you know that there are some things that I struggle with, and right now I'm having a hard time with Aleph Bet Gimel, whatever it happens to be. This disillusionment has to be opposed. It has to be rejected. But the way to kick it out is not by white, white-knuckle determination. It's not a matter of, I'll summon up more willpower and I'll decide, no, I'm going to enjoy the joy of the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. I'm going to listen to the messages. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to memorize Scripture. All those things are good and they're important. But it's about coming back to a first love place with Yeshua. It's about rediscovering the fascination that caused you to say yes to Him in the first place. It's about an adoration. It's about focusing on Him and not on yourself. Now, I think everyone here uh, could give uh, a relatively articulate and maybe sometimes eloquent description of their own flaws and foibles and failures. However, the more I focus on me, the less I wind up focusing on him, and then I'm not reflecting who he is very well, because I'm just all worried about Eitan and how Eitan isn't measuring up and how Eitan is not enough like Yeshua, and on and on. So I, I want to, uh, I really want to urge you, if you're experiencing any of that disillusionment or weariness, that, that today, today is a wonderful day to turn away from that. And, and we're going to pray at the end uh, of the message about that. I believe that uh, much of the Bible is about uh, generational transfer. It's about shared 
vision with each other. I love the fact that Joel, coming back to that quote uh, from chapter 2, that he speaks both about the old men and the young men, uh, about the old timers and about the young ones. And uh, it's, it's not gender specific, obviously. You're talking about men and women. And so what I see <clears throat> is that God is also calling us in these days, and this is part of what I experienced in my nostalgia and in seeing my face on a museum wall, is that, is that the, the, the breakthrough stuff, the revolutionary stuff, the going against the tide stuff was not just back then. And, and I might be a whole lot older in age, but there's still, there's still a fire on the inside. And that fire was lit by Yeshua in October of 1972 when He came into my heart. That fire needs to be encouraged. That fire needs to be uh, blown on. That fire needs some tending. And inside of us, it's important not to let the fire go out. There is something for, for us intergenerationally uh, that, is, that is essential. And I think it really takes both the, the fathers and the sons, the mothers and the daughters, I wrote here, I don't want to merely adorn a museum wall. If you find yourself on a museum wall, it's important not to stay there. And of course, there are all kinds of museum walls, aren't there? There are photo albums, there are recordings. Uh, I'm as nostalgic as the next person, probably more than most. But I... I read somewhere that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Now is the time. We can't live in any other time. I can't live in the past. I can anticipate the future, but I can't live there either. This is really so significant that we would devote ourselves to the vision, the vision of bringing Yeshua back to His people. And by the way... Israel is called also to reach the nations. So the vision that's been set before us is in no way limited, but each of us has our individual place, as you know. And so one of the things I want to encourage you in going back to the Lord after uh, renewing your love relationship with Him is to ask Him, where is my, where's my place? What's my part? I have to keep doing that. I've, I've gotten involved in so many things that I, I find that I have to do some pruning, and that might, be, that might be a relevant word for somebody here. It's not just about taking on more and more and more responsibility and more tasks and more involvement and more things. Sometimes it's dropping some of what you have to do a better job uh, with what's central. But... Uh, it's important. The Scripture says, Be'en chazon yifra'am. Without a vision, when there's no vision, uh, the people, it sort of literally means come apart at the seams. The people become, they become distressed, freaked out, I would say, in old hippie parlance. Okay? Um, this is from Proverbs, and you've heard it before. The renewal of a sense of, of idealism, not the hippie idealism that, that led us down kind of a, 
uh, a little bit of a blind alley where the Lord met us, really in a sense, at the end of that blind alley. Uh, Some of you have heard our story. I came to faith when a very, very dear friend was senselessly murdered by a total stranger up in the mountains where I didn't think anything like that could possibly happen. The guy was a stranger. He wasn't a member of our group. But it was a blind alley. It was all over. I had no, you know, my voice at him. I had no, no, no direction. And Yeshua met me right there. Let's, let's apply this message, okay? I, I want to give you three, three words, three ways of application. The first one is love. I spoke of it already. Yeshua rebuked the, the Kehillah, the congregation in Ephesus, uh, for losing their first love. He commended them for a lot of things. I won't quote it to save time. He talked about their works and about uh, all the good things that they had done and that they had been faithful to a degree. But then he said, but I have this against you. You've lost your first love. You've wandered away from being enchanted with me. You've, you've lost the excitement uh, about your relationship with me. And, and so the first application is to come back, come back to that place of fascination, come back to that place of wonder. Uh, Chaim spoke of it beautifully when he, when he read from Isaiah 53 earlier uh, in our time together today. It is about knowing and loving, adoring Yeshua. We serve Him because we love Him. If my wife, um, and she does this amazingly, uh, created a, a home of beauty and, uh, and, and meals of, of incredible flavor and, uh, you know, and kept me uh, looking somewhat clean and tidy, but she never looked me in the eye. She didn't show much interest for me as a person. She never put aside the broom or the mixing spoon and looked at me and said, you know what, old guy? I still love you. I, I want to hear those words. I think the stereotype that, that it's the women that need to hear I love you and the men not so much, I don't agree with that personally anyway. I need to hear that. Those three words just absolutely melt my heart. And, and, and I, if, if I only watched my wife serve me, quote-unquote, I also try to serve her, but I never experienced her, her heart love for me and, and her attraction to me. And by the way, we're in the best season of our marriage, and we've been married 48 and a half years. Best season. It's God has really just, He's brought us together closer than ever. But if that was the case, and it was only the service, I would, I would be, I, I'd be at a loss. I would be, I would say, no, dear, I, please put, put that stuff aside. I want you to want me. I appreciate all that you do, but I want you to want me. Yeshua wants us to want Him because He wants us. And I think that some of us are not experiencing His love and His affection and even His forgiveness because we're not getting still very much of the time. 
Life moves fast, doesn't it? You know? I won't tell you how fast, but I drove really fast to get here this morning. I was praying. Second word is will. The first application is love. The second word is will. Yeshua asked his parents in the book of Luke, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? So I referenced this already. Where are you getting your instructions, your marching orders? Is it from the world, from your flesh, from the expectations of others, or are you going to the father and saying, what are your priorities for me? And the third word is community. We read from the book of Nehemiah at the end of Acts chapter 2 after the Holy Spirit. The Ruach has come upon everybody. They're breaking bread together. They're learning of the apostles' doctrine, and, and multitudes of people are coming to faith. This is God's address on earth, this, Yeshua Tzion, and whatever other congregation, if you're faithful to it. But it's about community. So here's, here's the renewal. Here's the, the restoration of idealism. Here's where I believe God wants us is in the love relationship first and then doing God's will and then building and inventing ourselves, uh, investing ourselves in His community. I want to issue a quick invitation. I know we have to conclude. But for those who have lost that spark of idealism, those who maybe are, uh, are struggling with disillusionment, you don't have to be specific and just apply it. If you would like <clears throat> a change, if you would like a new start, if there's something in you that's, that's saying, yeah, Eitan, you've described me, I want you to stand up right now. And it's not fair if people have been sitting for a long time because then everybody wants to stand up. But, but I'm, asking, I'm asking for your indulgence. Just those who feel a desire for this restoration, renewal of idealism, this... this, this Yes, I want to be provoked to be disenchanted with the status quo and to live out the dream that God plants in me. Those that want prayer, just stand up very quickly. Father, in the name of Yeshua, I ask you to personally and individually and deeply in a penetrating way touch each of these persons who are standing right now. Each one, Lord God, is saying to you by standing, I need renewal. I want... I don't, I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be bored. I don't want to be um, just aimlessly moving through life. I don't want to be simply surviving. I don't want to be going through the motions. I'm asking you, Father, uh, to, to move upon them by your Spirit. Lord, your Spirit is the one who stands alongside of us to strengthen us and to change us. Lord, bring us fully into your will with a fresh energy. And Lord, help us to wait upon you, not to achieve something, but because you're worthy. We love you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Yeshua, for, for loving us first and for, and for coming to this earth uh, to redeem us for the purposes of God. We thank you, Lord. We are going to walk out those purposes just as Nehemiah did, and we're going to see a supernatural restoration of our people. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Toda Rabah.